Welcome back to Squinting at the Good with Nemec and Trox, folks. Glad you uh, decided to join us for another yeah. another edition. Happy Epiphany. Uh, happy Epiphany. Happy Epiphany. Yeah, today is uh, January 6th, after all. Yeah, for us, anyway. For could us, be, today, it could be any day for you. We're recording this on January 6th. Uh, you probably won't be listening to it on January 6th. Maybe. But, uh, we might have some dedicated dedicated listeners. Maybe. That'd be dedication, though. That would be very dedication. Yeah. A lot of dedication. Although, you know, you could equally argue that today's not actually January 6th. Uh, well, that, that gets into a lot bigger of a topic than we need to really talk about. So, uh, I suppose we should also mention uh, a very happy new year to all of our listeners, because it is the uh, yeah. first month of 2020. Yeah, and a very Merry Christmas, because we haven't And a very Merry Christmas, because I don't think we've recorded Merry since Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So, all of these holidays... Yes, and uh, Kwanzaa, uh, uh, the Jewish one... Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah, my 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 brain my brain blanked on on Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know any other holidays that. Boxing occur. Day. Oh, these uh, winter solstice. Win the winter solstice. Yeah, in uh, the proper Latin tradition. Uh, Saturnalia. Uh, yeah, let's see, Yule. Yule. <laughs> Yule for the neo pagans out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're listening, neo pagans, well, thank you for tuning into something which. Probably is very different than what uh, you, you, you like listening to. This is true. So I suppose it's also, uh, we, we have uh, moved into the 21st century as far as the internet goes, and we now have a Twitter, an email, a website, and a Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, so if you have any desire to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at S-A-T-G podcast. And for Facebook, I, I guess I think it's just squinting at the good yeah, thing is on Facebook. You just search yeah, you just for that. Search for squinting at the good, and you can find us. Yeah, and uh, if you have any any comments that you don't want to make publicly available on Twitter, or I guess there's direct message on Twitter, right? Yeah, that's there is. Thing? Okay, yeah. well, if that's if that's too much work for you, uh, we do also have an email account at uh, squinting at the good at gmail dot com. Right. And uh, of course, we always appreciate you uh, going over to our website squinting buzzsprout.com to either listen or admire our lovely chair our chair or or our beautiful uh photograph of, photograph photograph of, uh, of, of the Raphael. Academy. yeah 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 Raphael's uh it's actually uh is that a fresco or I think it's a fresco you have officially moved past my knowledge of art and I, art history it's it's a fresco in uh the Vatican I think Okay. Well, there's a lot of art in the Vatican, so that's, that's like a like mm. safe bet. Safe bet. It's either like the Louvre or the Vatican, right? Those are the places where all the art is in the world. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, like eighty percent of the world's art. Yeah, it. Uh, I don't want to say eighty, but you know, it depends on what you define art as. But well, this is true. This okay, is true. maybe that's another podcast topic. That, that'd day. be that'd be a great podcast. What is art? What is art? That'd be mm. pretty controversial. That'd too. be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, I guess I'm gonna lead off with topics for this episode. Um, I was watching a TV show earlier, and uh, the main character is a secret agent. As uh, most TV shows go, it's a covert-type operation show. And uh, it got me thinking, are covert operations something that is uh, justified in political philosophy? Do they violate national sovereignty in a justified way or an unjustified way? And are there any conceivable reasons we could justify having a covert intelligence program? Hmm. hmm. Yes. So, while you have a couple of minutes to collect your brief thoughts, I will uh, give my overarching broad position of no. Okay. Because that's that's, that's bold. That's bold. 
Well, I mean, it seems to run counter to the way the world well, yeah, I mean, the world, operates. The world, but the world didn't always operate that way. Okay, well, so lay forward so, your position. So, so my, my position is that uh, the modern approach to covert intelligence is with a strongly controlled centralized agency, thinking of the CIA, the FBI, um, but not the FBI in terms of domestic, uh, domestic federal police force, which was what they kind of were initially, and then their powers got broadened over the years um, to deal with uh, foreign, foreign people. And uh, I don't think they do anything abroad. It's mostly the CIA and the NSA now. But Oh yeah, FBI, yeah, they're mainly count domestic counterintelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's my understanding as well. But if we go through the history of, of governments, this wasn't a uh, this wasn't a popular thing to have a branch of the government or a members of the government that were specifically tasked with either spying on their own citizens or a foreign foreign governments. Now, there was always some foreign espionage and espionage, and you can think back to the the American War for Independence, but it would seem that this would be unjust, following from a either a just war theory or from a uh, just a theory of, of national sovereignty and and the uh, the rights and responsibilities of a government really seem like they shouldn't extend outside the border in that type of way. Interesting. What do you think? Well, um, I think from the position of justice. I mean, what do you mean by extend outside the border? Well. So, like, as an example, uh, if, if you are a secret agent in the, in the traditional American television standpoint, you're going to another country either to assassinate somebody or to wiretap some secret government building somewhere or, uh, you know, something kind of, kind of along those lines is what I'm thinking of. And it, it seems like those types of invasive operations... It seemed to run counter to the idea of justice from a, a just war theory in that you have a, a traditional combat setting. Well, okay, this is interesting. Well, I wouldn't even put this up to just war theory. I would just okay. put this up to, you know, straight ideas of what law is, right? To a, ah. strict, a strict natural law basis. Okay. Right? So if you think about law as being a dictative reason which is promulgated for the common good, mm -hmm. uh, by someone who has care of the community. Uh, mm -hmm. And for those of you that don't know, that is Thomas Aquinas's sort of formulaic definition of definition of, of what law is, which applies to all types. So of this laws. this might be this might be enlightening for our listeners mm -hmm. if we broke this definition apart because I think it's extremely significant in our modern day. Well, I wouldn't maybe not significant in our modern day, but significant to people that are proponents of uh, the natural law theory. Well, sure, um, sure. Okay, so which uh, which is which I think runs very much counter to many well, many many, many contemporary theories of law, um, but yeah, you're you're right. For 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 Catholics, it's incredibly important, and for people who are more broadly in just in the Thomistic tradition, not necessarily Catholic, it's also still very important, and even just in the traditional you know Aristotelian way as well. So how would you how would you break this apart then? So, yeah. so the definition starts to. Uh, a dictate of reason. Yeah, dictate, ordinance, um, basically it's reasonable, it's, okay. it's rational. Okay, so so by rational, we mean something that doesn't have any obvious logical inconsistencies with itself, um, so it's logically consistent, and uh, should it be necessarily be required to be applied universally, or, or how would you how would you limit uh, a dictator, an ordinance of reason past just simple logical coherence? Um. I'd say that an, uh, 
a dictative reason. Well, what is reason directed towards? Reason is directed towards the so truth. Towards the common good. Well, 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 no, we're not. Just in the sense that, uh, yes, well, common good is a different category, but just in terms of reason, reason is directed towards, you know, the truth, sure. right? So there's an objective standard of good or bad, yeah. you know, so, so that uh, the, the actions that are set forward uh, as consistent with this law, that this law is, you know, upholding mm-hmm. um, are, are in conformity with some sort of objective, you know, reality. Okay. Like okay. Goodness. Sure. Sure. Okay. And then we have promulgated, so spread about, make sure everyone knows. Right. Everyone it. has to know that it's a law. Yeah. We can't have secret laws. You can't have secret about laws. You that break no one's it. Told about. And then we pull you in jail, and you say, "Oh, but I haven't done anything." And you're like, "Well, well, well." well and this is actually a very interesting uh, idea that something's promulgated, right? So you don't necessarily have to know every law. Well, sure, to but you have, the, you, have, you have the opportunity. Yeah, you have to have the opportunity. It had to be put in a reasonable place where you could have found out about it if you wanted to. So burying something in the footnotes of a 3,000-page document yeah, there's, seems there's, to be there's against a, the idea of promulgation. There's an interesting argument that many modern-day you know, legal codes are just too darn big for you to... For the read, common man. For the common man to access them. them so that they could be you know, reasonably defined as promulgated. Now, I think you could also sidestep that argument by saying that, well, that's why we give you a lawyer. Well, <laughs> I suppose this is true. To an but extent, the fact that extent. we, the fact that uh, in criminal matters, which is where this would be most applicable, we most do applicable. offer a service of an attorney to right. a person. That, seem, that does seem to sidestep some of that. Some of, some of that argument. But, but that's anyway, another topic. That's a different topic. Um, very interesting one, though. But that's promulgation, right? People have to be told about it. Um, and then the last step, of course, is that it uh, well, is two, created or passed by... Well, two things. We need someone... We, it has to be created by someone who has the authority... Yes. Uh, ...to do it, uh, which basically means the ruler, mm-hmm. whether that be, you know... Someone who is assuming responsibility. Right. Other things. Well, whether... And who has been entrusted by the, by the people, or at least in some people's conceptions. Some people view this, uh, you know... In a, from a popular sovereignty way that the people transfer their sovereignty to yes. the sovereign, right? This is very... Um, this is Lockean. Uh, not Lockean, but a, a Hobbesian yeah. idea. Yeah. And and social contract and Lockean and all that. Um, but, I mean, it also could be... You could you could theoretically say that... Uh, if, you, if you believed in that your ruler was given this right to rule by God, etc. Ah, uh, the divine right of kings right. shows its head again. Right, but you could you could conceivably, conceivably also reconcile conceivably this. You could argue that. Yeah. But what's important is that this person sort of uh, has has some sort of authority, mm-hmm. whether that be natural or supernatural, and that they are always making these laws um, with the common good in mind. With the common good in mind, yeah, for the promotion of the common good. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah, wow, that's a. That's a hard thing to figure out sometimes. This is true. This is true. Okay, so so under that framework, you are thinking that it'd be better to address the idea of covert operations or covert intelligence from a natural law standpoint or a state a state a statement of law. Well, yeah. Uh, so uh, would covert operations, right? Uh, would they w- would they sort of be legal? Could they? Could they? Could they be legal under you know sort of a natural law conception of law? So I think I think first the first thing that comes into my mind about that is 
does the common good that the sovereign, in this case, is supposed to be directing his ordinances of reason towards mm -hmm. uh, extend outside of his national borders? Because if they extend outside of his national borders, then it would seem to indicate that you would have to make sure that any covert intelligence or covert operations were done, just as any operations of the, of the sovereign were done with the uh, purpose of benefiting the common good. Right, which so would put a very easy limitation on exactly. On this whole topic. So, um, so could could COVID operations be for the common good? I think so. Yes, maybe, potentially. Maybe potentially. Um, would they? Would you know? Sort of. Um, they be. I don't know. Reasonable, you know. Reason reasonable. Well, I mean. Most covert actions involve doing things which are bad. Most of the time. Most of the, Most time. Of the time. Yes, yeah. so there is there is question whether it could be directed towards goodness in general, mm -hmm. uh, let alone the specific goodness of the common good. Right. Yes. But supposing, just as a devil's advocate to my own position, supposing that uh, a covert operative did something towards the common good of everyone, but not solely or even specifically for the common good of his own nation, would that fall under the sovereign's jurisdiction to, to act in this way? Right, and so that's the question of promulgation and having care of the community. Does the, does the you know does, does the obligation of care of your community mean that you need to do anything to anyone else's community? Well, does it empower? Help or hurt? Does it does it give you the authority to authorize, to authorize, which which in a sense means you're taking personal responsibility for actions that take place outside of your community, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you, as king of, you know, Troxlerdom, you know, can you can you authorize someone to do anything? Yeah. You know, give them permission to do anything, regardless of whether it's consistent or not consistent with the laws of my nation, right? This is, this is, this is the, I think, the At fundamental all. question involved in this, this topic is whether or not this this obligation exists, whether or not this uh, this sense of community extends beyond the national border. And this is where the reason why I came down on a, on a no was uh, I am a, a very big fan of popular sovereignty and um, subsidiarity and right. uh, national national sovereignty. And that the idea of covert operations seems to fly in the face of at the very least subsidiary, possibly, possibly also uh, notions of, of national sovereignty and, and popular sovereignty even. And uh, as a quick as a quick refresher course to uh, maybe our new listeners, the idea of subsidiarity is that problems or concerns are addressed at the lowest level uh, to the problem that is possible. So as an easy situation, if you have say a large homeless population in a particular city. Uh, that problem should be addressed not by the federal government of the United States, as an example, but rather it should be first addressed by a community of persons that aren't even the state government, maybe local church communities, local civic communities, nonprofit organizations. Then it would maybe reach the level of a, of a state governmental issue. And then if the state's uh, government could do nothing that was meaningful to fix the problem or, or help, help these people, then uh, federal uh, intervention would be justified, or maybe before federal, maybe multinational nonprofits, or or some some intermediary body between state and federal power. 
but that's the rough idea of subsidiarity, and it's it's a uh, I think it's a principle that is akin to federalism at its core, but uh, has been maybe lost in our in our modern day where we look to the federal government for most of our aid and, and direction. And so it would seem that covert operations would fly a little bit in the face of this idea of subsidiarity because it is presuming that uh, not even the, the local principality government could, could solve a problem, but then their local national government couldn't solve the problem. And then, you know, having to resort to something even beyond the means of a, of a national government having to intervene into another community's affairs. Right. Um, and so the, and this, this, this sort of question of jurisdiction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe justified jurisdiction? Yeah, where where does your where does your jurisdiction stop and where does your jurisdiction end? So following uh, from the Platonic idea mm-hmm. of jurisdiction, and this is of course uh, you know funny given our podcast name Squinting with Good <laughs> and how we're trying to uh, maybe echo the Platonic tradition a little bit. Uh, Plato, when he's trying to discuss difficult matters of the person moves to addressing, uh, explaining them as an allegory of the government and a thought experiment in the Republic. Mm-hmm. And so maybe perhaps we can do the inverse of this, and instead of trying to examine the uh, person in terms of a government, maybe we try to understand the government in terms of people. So if we simplified the situation down, um, say you have a house next to me, it's a nice house, I have a nice house next to you, and uh, we're neighbors, and I want to make sure that you're safe and I'm acting solely out of your safety, but I put like a lot of hidden cameras and microphones all in your house one day while you're at work. Because I want to make sure that my friendly neighbor is is safe. Because maybe somebody breaks into his house and uh, I see it on my cameras and I'm like, oh no, I have to go help him, right? Would this be justified on a personal level? Hmm. So I have have an idea. I mean, it depends. I mean, it depends. Uh, Presuming you don't know about them. Presuming I don't know about them. Hidden secret cameras. Hmm. And you never gave me permission. You never never asked or mentioned it. I'm just, I'm freely and charitably offering my resources and my time to help secure your person. I don't know. It it depends on what you think uh, is an an invasion. You know, we use the language of invasion of privacy nowadays. But I mean, you know... Invasion of another person's sovereignty. So, an invasion of another person's sovereignty. But I'm trying to help you. I'm acting cha- at the utmost levels of charity, right? How could that ever be a invasion of your sovereignty? You do make you do bring up an interesting point on privacy, which I suppose is something that we could we could apply to a, a national setting, perhaps. Uh, but seemingly only as an extension of the individual. Yeah, well, the, when I when I use the language of sovereignty, it, it's sort of in the in this sort of you know notion of subsidiarity, right? Yeah, you're I'm violating your personal sovereignty. Right, my personal sovereignty, right? Uh, yeah. I unless there's a pressing need for you to do that. So would a pressing need uh, actually override your personal responsibility of yourself? Well, I think that's a prudential judgment uh, that has to be made so who determines who determines this do i get to decide this i mean what if I in mean, this situation you've proven maybe uh maybe i think that you're incompetent even though you're you're a lovely guy and you have a great house and i want to make sure you're safe but i think you're just incompetent and you're not gonna be able to protect yourself <laughs> so i'm gonna hide some secret cameras in your house well you know the, if we lived in a you know completely 
false, you know, state of nature, well, yeah, it would be up to your personal prudence. But the nice thing is we live in a, we live in a society. We live in a society. So we, we let society decide what is well, reasonable. No, we don't let society decide what is reasonable. Society's already told us what is reasonable mm. to a certain extent in, in, in many generalized situations. Generalized through, situations. Through the laws that we've already promulgated, right? Okay, okay. And the, and the laws that, that are already promulgated have said that you do not have permission... You cannot enter my house legally without my permission. Therefore, you entering my house to somehow put cameras in it, you know, without my permission would be wrong. Not necessarily because of the, you know, intention or just the fact of putting cameras, but just in the sort of, you know, practical way you have to go about it. It's just wrong, which prevents us from having to deal with the situation in the first place. So what if you have a lot of windows in your house? (laughs) And what if I put a bunch of cameras on my property that just <laughs> happen to peer into your windows? I have not entered your property. Well, this However, is, this at is the a, same time, I'm surveilling Well, this is an so interesting as a, question. As a direct analog, this is uh, the use of satellites nowadays to image other, other nations or, or other, uh, other right. principalities. I'm not entering into their airspace even, such as yeah. the U-2 incident with the Soviet Union. I am uh, You're completely outside. By. But well, this is still, this is an interesting question. Inside, well, and certain places, this is this is again more prudential judgment. Certain places have made the prudential judgment for us, uh, and 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 because of this, certain places have consent laws regarding photography, video sure. recording. It's commonly known though that these these types of I guess we call them privacy protections are uh, not applicable to the government. Right. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about people, right? We're still... Well, yeah, we're, but, but we're, we're talking still, about people as an analog to governments. Right. So, why do we do it? Well, I mean, and, but this is... So then, but why this do is, we allow governments to do something that we as individuals have deemed we can't do ourselves? Well, we, well that's the, this is the problem, right? There's no consensus amongst people about whether it's allowed or not. So, for instance, I don't know if you know this, but where we live, it's perfectly... It's perfectly acceptable for you to do exactly that, to set up cameras on your property or, you know, if you're driving by on the street to this photograph someone else's house. Ironically, I was, uh, I, was actually, I was actually talking to a person in the energy industry, and they were explaining that um, uh, back, uh, back in the day, uh, this is the 80s and 90s, uh, when people wanted to trade power or electricity, um, it was very crucial for them to know what power plants were up and running. And so something that was a, a tactic that was employed, and this is all, of course, before the internet and before a lot of this technology that we use nowadays was available, they would rent a building at the very top of the, or they would rent a, a, a floor at the very top of a skyscraper and set up telescopes that would look at the power plant smokestacks. This was all, of course, when, when coal was the norm. And they could be able to see uh, very, quick, very quickly and very clearly whether there was a change in output by the size of the smoke plumes coming from power plants 50 miles away. Interesting. Yes. I nowadays, think, I modern, think you might have been pulling your leg. Uh, no, no. This was a thing. Uh, this was oh, a thing. okay. And uh, nowadays, there's... Uh, even, I'm a little dubious about there, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, nowadays, there's even uh, uh, some more high-tech ways of doing this with infrared cameras, where they will set up infrared cameras some distance outside of power plants and see the heat... Uh, signatures given off by these power mm-hmm. plants, and you can tell not necessarily how how much they're on, but whether they're on or off, because yeah. uh, there's a pretty significant heat difference between a spinning turbine and a non-spinning turbine. And uh, 
Ironically enough, people will put these on farms because a lot of times these power plants are in the middle of nowhere. And so pay a farmer some money and he'll throw up a camera. And uh, so this kind of follows that same idea in the business world. We, we do this. People do this. It's perfectly legal. You can right. subscribe to services that give you this data. Right. It's perfectly legal in many places. Not all places, though. Oh, sure, sure. I'm sure there's some places where, where these types of practices are right. legal. Uh, but the question is, should they be? Now, should they be? Yes. Because um, it's obviously that it's mixed in the current political community. Uh, but the question we're trying to find out here is is whether it should be. So now we're now we're so now we're talking about this is surveillance in general. Surveillance, suppose, uh, maybe moving away from what we were previously sort of. Assuming. I suppose I suppose we we moved from covert to overt surveillance because <laughs> you can see the cameras or you have some idea that this exists. Whereas the presumption with uh, covert surveillance is that you're undiscovered. Right, and this but this uh, surveillance could move also you know away from you know physical surveillance of cameras to oh, sure. monitoring, you know, phone lines, phone lines yep. Yep. telecommunications, internet connections. This is true. This is true. All sorts of things. And um, so does the covert versus overt nature have any import to the justification of, of, some, of this action? Yes. Okay. How would you, how would you describe it? Um, so I'd say that, first of all, everything that's done... Right. So, so presumably the government will only be operating within its own laws. Okay. So it has sure. to be it has to be legal within its own structure, within its own structure, body of law. Okay. For it to engage in these practices. So domestically or internationally? Domestically. Domestically. Okay. Let's not so, yeah, talk about international follow. things. You have to follow your own laws whenever you're doing anything. Well, yes. Okay, so we so we'll establish that the government, not us, the yes, government. Yes, the government. Um, any government that does do this must have a law, and using sort of a my definition of law, this law must be an ordinance of reason promulgated by someone who has care of the community for the common good. Common good is key here. Um, why are you doing it? Well, the idea would be to help people protect them, right? That's most of the time this is justified on the basis of protection. Uh, most often physical protection, but um, I suppose there is arguments out there for ideological protection. Uh, I'm thinking of the Great Firewall of China, as it's been dubbed, um, which, not ironically enough, does harken back to Plato's Republic, where he is talking about censoring the poets because they'll stir up uh, problematic influences. Right. Uh, although I don't think, because <laughs> <laughs> you know there are some lines in Homer that were just too, too fire. Yeah. Well, you know I don't want to live in Plato's Republic. So. Well, I don't either. I don't think Plato did either. No, it was a thought experiment yeah. talking about the orderance of the soul and temperance being you know important and these these types of things. Right. Uh, but, but as an analog. But as an analog. You know that's a good question. But, but so on the topic of uh, finishing up the topic of, of covert surveillance internationally, we would say even if even if uh, Sovereign A is trying to help the common good of Sovereign B's community, so mm -hmm. in, in the case of the person, me wanting to make sure you're safe, but you know maybe meaningfully actually ensuring your safety as opposed to just use a throwaway line. Maybe you're maybe you just had a hip injury and you can't walk around well, and I'm worried you're going to fall and hurt yourself more and you know, I just want to, like, a little baby monitor. You know, I just want to, want to keep my eyes and ears out. Yeah. Okay? Um, we would say that that's not justified 
I'd say that there isn't, well, this is, and this is my prudential judgment, I'd say that for the most part, uh, mere, you know, physical safety of individuals is not substantially justified by the common good in order to so, engage so then in, to clarify, in, are, in, radical, in does, radical surveillance. Does this common good, uh, does the common good of that a sovereign is, is supposed to be, uh, I suppose you could say manifesting, but advancing, uh, extend outside of a national border? Um, or is it tied only to the sovereign's own borders? As an uh, maybe extreme example, that sometimes we, we find either exceptions to rules or enlightenment to rules in extreme, in, in extreme situations. Suppose, suppose, mind you, that there was a, uh, a sovereign who was standing at his national boundary and there was somebody who was dying three feet over crosses across the boundary in his neighbor's territory and he could save the person but he'd have to violate the national sovereignty of his neighbor in order to save him. Should he? Well, yes, but this is this is different. Really? So you're so how is it different? You're you're advancing the common good, your and individual good. Well, yeah, of, but of another community. But but this has to do this has this has to do with something different. Um, so there is a. So this is the idea of acting in the spirit of the law, but against the letter of the law. So you're referring to some sort of violation of a law in order to do something reasonable by helping another well, person. Well, so I think it's right? testing it's testing whether the law is truly advancing the common good. Well, a law can advance the common good generally, but not advance the common good in individual circumstances. Okay. I mean, that's I suppose it's a nuanced take. And uh, presumably there'd be instances in which the common good uh, could not be... Uh, advanced in a specific way, but is advanced generally, or maybe isn't universally advanced. Right, and this this there's is actually a word for this. Really, this is called epikeia. Oh, epikeia. You ever heard it before? I I have. It is it is ringing a bell. It's a it's a Greek word. Yes, that's that's why it rings a bell. And uh, none of those filthy Latin words. Well, you know the the, the Romans, uh, you know. <laughs> letter the law. Yeah. I'm not sure, but Thomas Aquinas talks about this. It probably goes back. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Plato or Aristotle had something to say about epikeia. But Thomas's example, if I recall correctly, which he gives somewhere in his treatise on law, is of the city that is under attack. Okay. And uh, there's a law that says no one's allowed to open the gates because you know the city is under attack. Now, if um, if the city's under attack, but there are some guys who have escaped the battle and they're running back to return to the city. Sure. Right? Do you open the gate to let them in? Well, well the presumably. Law, well, presumably, that's the smart thing to do, right? Well, you don't want law, them to but, die. Yeah, you don't want them to die, but the law says you can't open the gate. What do you do? Throw ropes over. Yeah, no. no. Yeah, Thomas, Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas says it's okay to open the gate. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um... So in this circumstance, you're violating the letter but upholding the spirit. Is that the thinking? Right, and there's it, it's a little more complicated than that. Basically, you have to you have to be re reasonably sure that what you're doing, like, if everyone if ever everyone was able to change the law to make what you were doing okay, like you know, so like if, ever, if everyone would agree that uh, 
you can't open the gates if the city's under attack unless you th there's a band right. of people outside that you think you can save if you open the gates. No one's ever, not right. everyone's going to die if you open the gates. Right. And, and, and obviously not everyone, but the person who has the care for the community, whether that be a democratic assembly or the sovereign or whoever, that they would have made this exception if they had thought about it, but they hadn't, right? So this would be in a, in a uh, U.S. constitutional analog to this would be the idea of framers' intent. Right. Where you're uh, trying to establish the constitutionality of, of some sort of new uh, new and, and maybe previously could not have been thought, maybe has some, some sort of new technology at work or uh, something like that where they try to look at the framers of the Constitution's original intent. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's exactly Project that. it forward. I'd say that framers' intent is, a, is an interpretation, specifically in the American context, context of this idea of epikeia, maybe. 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 But, I mean, there's other ways of interpreting epikeia. Um, but, okay. basically, it's basically a way of making sure that the law isn't stale and there are, you know... That way the law... There are the exceptions. Law, you, yeah. You can't make general rules that always hold uh, sometimes. That makes sense. Okay, so... But, so that then we're, we're really just agreeing that the common good really... That a sovereign has responsibility for only extends to the people in his care, his community. And that he doesn't, he can't act for the common good of people outside of his community if it violates the national sovereignty of another sovereign. Well, I mean, um, I wouldn't go so far to say that. I'd say that his primary responsibility is to his sort of community, whatever that might be. Principality. Principality. Um, but I'd say that, you know, as a, you know, person, he has some sort of obligation to aid all people. So ruler qua ruler, only people, only his people, ruler qua man, all people. I think so. I think that's, I think that's a more reasonable way of putting it. Which then means that the ruler could only act with the powers of an ordinary man. No, I wouldn't say that though. How would you say it? Because his powers is an ordinary man. Okay, how are you, you? This is a problem. You can't separate a man from the office. So you can't have uh, you can't have a a president acting as a man. He always is acting as a president. Uh, in a certain sense, uh, there in in a certain in a certain scenario, you might have someone acting less as president and more as man, or more as president and less as man. But mm -hmm. I'd say you're never able to entirely separate the two okay. of them from each other. I'd agree to so that. this is the whole. Th this is the. This is actually one of the things. If you recall, during the very beginning of Trump's presidency, uh, there was a, a whole big rigmarole. Rigmarole. Excellent. Excellent term. Rigmarole. I don't even remember what I just said. Rigmarole. Rigmarole. There was a big rigmarole over uh, President Trump's ownership of the Trump Hotel. Okay. And that there were various important dignitaries staying at the hotel. I don't remember, but so, there was some sort of conflict of interest that was generated because of his ownership. Generous because of his ownership of the hotel, okay. and basically, some uh, opponents of the president basically s said that in order to uphold, you know, certain sections of the Constitution which deal with conflicts of interest, you can't be owning this hotel or X, um, or you can't be president. Or you can't be president. One of yeah, the two. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Right? And, I mean, to a certain extent, they had a point that there's there's really is 
sort of no way you can completely divorce. I think you can substantially divorce the two. Yeah. But I don't think there's a way you can ever completely divorce, um, you know, you the, the a person from their from their office, right? And this is exactly why there's all sorts of you know extra rules that are put upon people in offices to make sure that their actions as a person befit the office which they hold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Um, Priests have to. Priests are not allowed to do certain things, which would be unbefitting of their priesthood, because they can't. Well, I mean, honestly, that's probably a worse example, because uh, with you know ordained people, there's some sort of ontological change. But I mean, yeah. even uh, a teacher, you know, has to ma- maintain certain professional standards outside the classroom. Uh, uh, a um, Officer of the law has to maintain certain professional standards yeah. outside uh, of doctors. The doctors. Doctors have a fiduciary responsibility to, uh, you know, help in case of an emergency if they're present. I don't know about that. Is that true? Yeah, you can be held. You can be held criminally negligent if you're a doctor, and uh, there is a accident that has happened, and you can get there in time and help out, and you don't. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's actually, and you can also be held criminally liable if you prevent a doctor from doing these things. There is an episode, I don't know if you've ever seen this show, um, but it, it, it displays this very, very well in a humorous sort of sense. But have you heard of the, uh, the 90s show Doogie MD? Uh, isn't that called like Doogie Howser MD? I thought it was Doogie MD, but it might it might have that. Uh, yeah, it started Neil Patrick Harris. It's, it right? started, a, it started very a, very young. Yeah, it started a, a very young Neil Patrick Harris, maybe uh, fourteen, fifteen, and it it's supposed to be a show of a fourteen year old doctor who uh, was oh, I think a leukemia patient as a kid and spent a lot of time in hospitals and was extremely smart and his father was a uh, head of a medical department at a hospital and. He graduated from med school, did his rotations, and, and was a fully-fledged licensed doctor at the age of 14. Yeah, Doogie and Hauser MD. Doogie Hauser MD. Okay, okay. I accept the correction. And uh, I think the pilot of the show, it was humorous, he's with his mother getting his driver test, and uh, there is a accident on the radio, and he's, dri- or he's driving by an accident, and he sees it, and he has to stop, and um, he gets out of the car and goes to the scene to, to help, and there are these police officers that try to prevent him from going to the scene of the accident to help the victim. And he explains to them that if they actually prevent him from helping the patient, that they could be held criminally liable because they're preventing a doctor from helping wounded. Okay. okay. And uh, it was, it was humor. Okay. That's, that's humorous, but I mean, it's, it's in a TV show. Are you, sh- you know, uh, how I mean, sure? I'm pretty sure. You're pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that they have an obligation to, uh, to help out. Now, I don't know. I don't know where the limits of this and how it's been tested in law, but from my understanding, there is a uh, there is an obligation. It's interesting. So, Just like lawyers have have that obligation with with clients that they have to always put their interests first, and uh, lawyers have particular responsibilities that you accept. So, so you could say a, a man acting as a lawyer or not as a lawyer is another example. Right. There's no way you can separate the doctor from the doc from the man. Right. Well, you see, but people, people from the lawyer's perspective, people do act as lawyer and act as not lawyer. And those, they're, you know, they're, your obligations as a lawyer only exist in your acting as a lawyer. Now, as a doctor, maybe this extends a little bit more, but as a lawyer, um, I can say something as a person and it not be considered, you know, my professional legal opinion. 
right? <laughs> and so I can separate those two out. Maybe not as severely as, uh, as some professions. Right. And like I said, substantial, non-substantial separation. This is true. This is true. We would uh, say that's an act, you know, more accidental in some cases, more substantial in others. Right. Uh, but I think for something as serious as, you know... A ruler. Rulership. This is... Unseparable. Well, I wouldn't say unseparable. I wouldn't even say... I don't know. It could be substantially separable. But I just say it's not ever completely separable. Hmm. You know? So, Anyways. so to kind of wrap up this idea, we would say that... Uh, Covert operations probably not justified or oh, justified. Covert my, my mind's my, my mind's kind of changing. Like mind's you know, kind of changing. It's I don't evolving. know. It, maybe you have an evolving opinion. Well, I mean, so certainly, I don't know, because it would seem to me that it, at least in part, if if you're attempting to uh, assist the common good of another country, um, I would think that that would have to follow subsidiarity. And that it would seem to be a violation of subsidiarity most of the time. Maybe not all the time, but presumably most of the time. Uh, in circumstances where your covert intelligence and your covert operations were geared solely for, or at least in large part, your common good, um, I think that's where things get a little bit more sketchy. And okay, so let's think about this. If you have a country, right? Yeah. I am king. You are king. Correct. And you take a whole bunch of, you know, you take 50 people and you're like, yeah. okay, I am go, your king. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you recruit them into your yep. intelligence service. Yep. And you'll be like, go into all of these neighboring countries and live there and I'll pay for everything. And you just report back information to me what you, yep. what you happen to see. Yeah. Yeah. Sleeper agents. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're just collecting intelligence, you know, you're not, you're not threatening. Non-threat. Well, I mean, no, (laughs) certain nations would dispute that. Yeah, this is true. The other nations might dispute that, but you're not doing anything which is violent, uh, which, you know, sort of goes against, you know, um, natural law notions like, well, we already said violence, but you know, other things you're not, you're, you're not being open about the fact that you're an agent of a foreign government, but you're not lying about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, this is true, this is true. Other things like that. Okay. You would say this is more justified? I'd, more justifiable? I'd say it's more justifiable. Um, so I suppose from a, an ethical standpoint, it's always important to examine both the substance of the act and the circumstances of the act at the same time and take both into account. And so it would seem clear that, you know, acting violently... Um, would, would seem to be less justifiable than acting nonviolently, Right. And so given that type of logic, it would seem that there probably is a way that you could do it. And so then that, that just becomes whether or not most governments do. And <laughs> I, I think there's varying opinions on that, depending on which country you are and uh, when you exist in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's the other reason of why you're doing it. Uh, I, st- I still think that's very important. Yeah, I think the intention, common good. You, you're talking about substance and circumstance, but also yeah. the intention. Are you doing it to defend your country from, you know, to know when another country is going to come attack you? Or are you going, are you doing it because you're trying to, I don't know, sabotage? So, so this whole conversation has been talking about organized means of, of covert intelligence. What about the role of the citizen? to gather intelligence for his principality. So if you are, if you are, say, domestically, you know, we have an obligation as citizens to covertly and safely report any, you know, misdeeds we've seen to, to the local authorities, right? Did we? Well, do, 
so if, if you if you're witnessing a crime, do you not have an obligation to report it to the authorities? Uh, I don't think you do. Really? I so, mean, we're talking so about legal obligation. We're talking about ethical obligations. Uh, well, I would which, say both. I'm maybe pretty sure, which, I'm pretty sure you have a ethical obligation. <laughs> well, I am not I, sure if you have a technical legal like you can be sued if you don't obligation. But it would it would seem to me that you as a as a person ought to contribute to the common good. I I think. Uh, here's here's how I distinguish. I think first of all, this this really feels like a cop out, but you, you really <laughs> have, you really should be prudent in everything that you do. Well, sure. And I think reasonably you could prudentially decide to not to not. if you have some sort of reasonable doubt in the substance of the surveillance. Uh, in in the, you have some sort of reasonable doubt that your you know um, government so then, then will, you would... will will you know is actively serving justice. Uh, however, you know we'll point. I will point out that I think as a general rule, you're right. We do have an ethical obligation, but why is that? So I think that might be a question for another episode. No, well, I have a I have a quick and snappy. I, quick, quick do, and snappy. Do, do you have something quick and snappy? Uh, no, no, mine would be a much more well, much more lengthy. Well, idea. quick quick and snappy. I'd say it's because we as individual citizens don't have the care of the community. Okay, that's fair. It's in, right. it's in the hands of the sovereign. It's or, in the hands the, of the sovereign, the right? Body. So we provide, we provide, we, we, we report, we provide to the sovereign so that he has the most information in order to best carry out justice in the community. That seems reasonable. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty reasonable. And Thomas talks a lot about this. I highly recommend anyone who's interested in these questions that we talked about for the past 45 minutes to take a look at Thomas Aquinas' Treaty of Law, Treatise on Law, which is in the Summa, I think it's in the the first, the second part of the first part, I think. Well, it's got to be in either the second or the first part if it's in the Summa. Well, is it in the first part of the first part of the second? It's, it's definitely, it's definitely, I'm pretty sure it's in the second part. It's in the second part of the first part, and eh, questions somewhere in there. Anyways. Yeah, that, that would seem reasonable. But I think, I think we can both agree that maybe you don't have an obligation, but if you are surveilling, you should surveil prudently. Yeah, do everything with prudence.